0: These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) Living Statues Written by Matt Butcher Narrated by Josh Curran Julian was so bored that it felt as though his brain had turned to mush and started to dribble out his ears. As school trips went, this one had to be the worst. A university. they travelled from one educational facility only to visit another. It had been a trip that their physics teacher had been incredibly enthusiastic about, however. He'd blathered on about the discovery of gravitational waves and how the scientists working from this university's laboratory department were attempting to harness these waves to create clean, efficient energy. Unfortunately, Julian was only 16, and none of this meant a damn thing to him. He was interested in football, the latest clothing trends, and, quite recently, the fairer sex. One girl in particular had caught his eye. A redhead named Tilly, who sat a few desks across from him in several classes. They'd never kissed, held hands, or even spoken. The most intimate interaction they'd shared were the numerous awkward moments when their eyes locked across the room and the pair just stared at each other like a couple of deer in headlights. Today, however, Julian was convinced that he was going to talk to her. Hell, he might even be so bold as to hold her hand. His heart began to race at the mere thought of physical contact. Perhaps a conversation would be enough for today. Baby steps, he told himself. Rome wasn't built in a day. Cautiously, he glanced around the group of students gathered in a semi-circular audience around one of the scientists, whose droning voice Julian had tuned out, until his eyes fell upon the fiery copper of Tilly's crown. As if by some extrasensory ability, she turned to meet his gaze. A faint smile crept into the corner of her mouth before she returned her attention to the speaker. She smiled. His heart began to flutter like a moth caught in a lampshade. He turned to face the speaker again in an attempt to play it cool though this was difficult with a near-to-ear grin plastered across his face. Shooting another glance her way, Julian found her gone. To the toilet, perhaps? He thought at first. But she didn't return. It's on right now, but in a minute we'll rev the converter up so you can all see the incredible results. Julian picked up the scientist saying, before promptly tuning him out again. It had been over twenty minutes now, until he was still missing. Julian began to worry. He would have told the teacher, but feared he'd only get her in trouble. She'd never go out with him if he snitched on her. But then another idea crept into his mind. Had she intended him to follow her? Had the smile been an invitation? Fueled by an overwhelming surge of teenage hormones, Julian stealthily slunk towards the door. Where do you think you're going? His physics teacher barked across the room. Toilet, he grunted in response. Be quick. Julian found the corridor empty, save for a faint shuffling sound somewhere nearby. Following the noise to its source, Julian found himself at the door of the room adjacent to the one he'd just left. It was plastered in warning signs that Julian didn't understand, further than their cautionary canary yellow, The entrance was supposed to be sealed with a keycard lock, but someone had propped it open with a book. Cautiously, he wrapped his fingers around the door and pulled it open. Inside, much to his delight, was Tilly. She was facing a large metal object, like a giant canister the size of a water tank, and seemed thoroughly transfixed by it. She was unflinching, like a living statue, "'Tilly?' Julian crawled over to her. His heart skipped a beat as he did so. This was the first time he'd actually spoken to her. She didn't respond, neither with words nor movement. Her silence dragged him down like a lead weight. She was ignoring him. He'd misread the smile. "'I don't think it's safe to be in here. "'There's warning signs on the door and stuff.' Perhaps she'd only think he was there for her safety. He could at least save himself from the public ridicule, subsequent to a schoolyard rejection. There was still no response from her. Look, I can't just leave you here. I'll only get into trouble myself, he tried to reason. Seeing that Tilly still hadn't moved, not even a wasp's whisker, Julian finally began to suspect something was amiss. He'd heard of a boy a few years senior to them, who had something he'd heard referred to as cataleptic fits. This boy wouldn't collapse and writhe on the floor, as most people would assume when the word fit was thrown about, but instead frozen in place. it would remain entirely stationary for the duration of the fit, and often had no idea that any time had passed at all. Could this be what was happening? Tilly? He spoke softly as he took a few cautious steps towards her. As he neared, she began to move, slowly at first, But soon, she jolted up suddenly, upon noticing Julian stood directly behind her. (gasps) "'Shit!' she yelled involuntarily. "'Sorry,' Julian apologized sheepishly. "'What are you doing walking right behind me?' she asked him, viewing him quizzically. "'Are you alright?' "'Why wouldn't I be?' "'You disappeared, so I went looking for you. I found you spaced out and staring at that thing.' Julian gestured toward the large metal tank. What do you mean? I've only just walked in, like, ten seconds ago. Julian's expression dropped a little. Perhaps his cataleptic assessment had indeed been correct. It's been twenty minutes. She paused as though waiting for him to drop the punchline. But there wasn't one. What? she asked, though Julian was unsure how he could provide a simpler explanation. Before he could even begin to clarify what he'd said, the large metal tank began to hum. It was low at first, but slowly raised in tone and volume until it seemed as loud as a jet engine. The light in the room began to dim. Looking upwards, Julian found the hanging fluorescent lights still fully functional, but it was as though they didn't emit as much light anymore. Feeling a pressure on his hand, Julian glanced down in horror, only to find Tilly's hand gripping him tightly. At least I get to hold her hand before I die, he thought to himself. It was a small consolation. Death, however, never came, and as the machine's sound began to lower, the light returned to normal. Cheeks now a rosy red. Tilly took back her hand. Sorry, she blushed. Julian smiled in response, perhaps a little wider than he would have liked. Making their way back to the door, they now found it shut. In fact, this didn't seem like the door they'd entered through at all. Looking around the room, Julian found the room largely as they'd found it, save for the thick coating of dust and cobwebs, which seemed to be of far greater density the further away from the strange metal canister they got. The walls themselves had changed too. They were smooth and without joins, even at the corners, and there was a large window placed in the back wall. Julian felt terror wash over him. Through this window, there was a large crowd peering in with great interest. They held up thin sheets of plastic that seemed to take still images of himself and Tilly. What's going on? Tilly asked timidly from his side. He couldn't reply. He had no idea himself. There was a clunking as the unfamiliar doors deadbolt was undone, allowing it to creak open. A young man with a badge that read, Donnie, tour guide, stood in front of them with some breathing apparatus covering his mouth and nose. Don't worry about this, he said, gesturing to the mask. ''Just a precaution for our safety. We have no idea what you two might be carrying.'' Tilly shocked Julian a panicked look, which Donnie seemed to pick up on. ''Don't worry, Matilda, please. Like I said, we're the ones at risk here.'' This didn't seem to reassure her much. ''What's going on? Where's our group?'' Julian asked. This question seemed to tickle Donnie a little. ''Well, Julian, I'm afraid you missed them leaving.'' He paused to restrain himself from laughing. <laughs> ''Missed them by 263 years.'' Tilly had turned as white as a sheet. How? Julian asked. He'd intended to say more, but his reeling mind didn't offer up any more than a single word. Well, this is rather like trying to explain algebra to a monkey. Julian didn't appreciate the comparison, but allowed Donnie to continue uninterrupted. What do you know about the gravitational warping of time, time dilation and such? Nothing, Julian's blank expression said. That's what I thought. Donny sighed. That antique in there was the first gravitational wave converter. At least that's what it was supposed to be. It accidentally worked as a wildly effective G-wave amplifier too. It really was revolutionary. But I... I... Julian stuttered. Your proximity to the machine slowed down relative time for you, while it passed at normal speed for the rest of us. But we were only here for ten minutes. Tilly mumbled but it was 263 years for everyone else. Fascinating, isn't it? Donnie beamed. Julian didn't mirror his enthusiasm. Wait a minute. Something had dawned on Julian. Is this one of those hidden camera TV shows? Is it one of what? Donnie asked with a raised eyebrow. Oh, you mean television. I think there's only a couple that work still in existence. My dad went to visit one as a child back when you could still witness them in person. Now you can just stream docu-immersals about them from the Neuralink. The reality of the situation had finally started to sink in for Julian, and his skin tone began to fade to that of Tilly, who appeared to be in a state of shock. Right. First things first, we've got a contamination truck waiting for you on the mid-level mag highway. Then, it's straight to time displacement orientation. They'll help you find your feet. Donnie led them past an excited crowd who continued to take stills on their see-through plastic sheets. I don't mind them. It's not every day they get to see a couple of 300-year-old kids, is it? They passed an information sign that displayed school photos of both Julian and Tilly. Its title read, The Living Statues, Frozen in Time for Centuries. The Living Statues, Julian read aloud. Indeed, you've been quite the tourist attraction. Monuments to this great technological breakthrough. Why didn't you just turn the machine off? Julian asked in an attempt to understand. Oh, we did! Or at least the scientist who had spent decades researching the pair of you did. It's as though the machine generates a bubble. Anything inside that bubble is slowed down to a near standstill. Now that they were walking behind Donnie, Julian noticed a flickering light under the surface skin behind his ear. Was this how Donnie connected to the neurolink he'd mentioned before? Did it connect straight to his brain? Given that you two are out now, perhaps time in the bubble is starting to catch up. Maybe the order to shut it down will reach the converter in a couple of decades or so. Who knows? Donnie spoke whimsically. As they neared a door at the end, the other side of which Julian could hear the sound of passing cars, a dreadful thought hit him. I... My parents. My family. Uh, Everyone you know is long dead, I'm afraid. Donnie called over his shoulder with cheerful indifference. Tilly began to sob. So Julian grabbed her hand to comfort her. She gripped it so tightly Julian could feel his hand bones squashed together. Pausing at the door, Donnie turned around to grin at them. Living statues, may I introduce you to the 23rd century? He announced in the voice of a ringmaster from the now antiquated circus ring, and pressed the open door button. It slid aside to reveal the street outside, all five layers of it up and down. Stepping out onto the ledge that served as pavement, Julian peered over the edge. "'We were on the ground floor, weren't we?' he thought aloud. "'We ran out of space building Skyward, so we started digging. Running out of space there, too,' Donnie chuckled, inviting them to a sleek truck hovering nearby." Julian became transfixed by the levitating cars floating on the many intertwining layers of magnetic highway, with the neon billboards advertising things he couldn't even begin to understand, and the adverts that seemed to beam into his ear from God knows where. This summer, if you're going on holiday, on tour, or a music fest, then you need to check out... He was so immersed in the foreign smells and sounds, and with the people, so vibrant and diverse and strange to even notice that Tilly wasn't holding his hand anymore. Turning to his right, he caught a glimpse of the ends of her copper locks disappearing over the edge of the pavement ledge. Lurching forward, Julian found Donnie restraining him with a surprisingly strong grip from such a slender man. Julian writhed, trying to escape from Donnie's grasp but was unable to break free. "'I can't lose you too, living statue!' You're the property of the Museum of Time. I main attraction. Hell, we built this damn thing around you two. Tilly! Julian screamed over the curb after her. His cry was met with a distant, dull thud and several screams. That's fine. Donnie spoke calmly into Julian's ear. We'll scrape her up and make a new one. No one will ever notice the difference. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Over Stories. Living Statues was written by Matthew Butcher, narrated by Josh Curran, edited by Carl Hughes, with music by Nikolai Heidlas and Tom Robson. Hawke and Cleaver have a brand new podcast. It's called The Story Studio, and it's where an independent publishing company, us, explore the world of self-publishing, independent art, and the future of storytelling. It's a show for filmmakers, writers, comic book makers, crowd crowdfunders, entrepreneurs, creators, and anyone looking to tell stories in the modern world. And it's out right now. So go search for the Story Studio in your favorite podcast app, or simply go to the show notes and click on the link. Until next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?